This is an NC Baptist resource. For more, visit ncbaptist.org. Welcome to the NC Baptist Podcast, the podcast designed to engage with ministry leaders around topics that will explore approaches and resources to help us be on mission together. It's because of your generosity that this resource is available. Learn more at ncbaptist.org slash give or contact us at communications at ncbaptist.org. Thank you for tuning in to the NC Baptist podcast today. I am Terry Long, the church health and revitalization strategist here at NC Baptist. Today I'm sitting with Jimbo Stewart, who serves with the North American Mission Board on the replant team and Walker Armstrong, our association mission strategist. Today we're discussing the topic of why church revitalization isn't always the answer. Well, good afternoon, gentlemen. How are you? Doing great. Doing awesome. Doing awesome. Welcome to our podcast. Tell us a little bit about yourselves, your family, your vocation, your hobbies, and kind of in the process, tell us how you got started in this whole church revitalization thing. Walker, we'll start with you. Yeah, I've been with the Pilot Mountain Baptist Association now for almost seven years. Uh, before that, I was involved in uh, other kinds of pastoral ministries, church planting, church consulting with different state conventions, and also have a corporate background in doing organizational development, leadership coaching, et cetera. So, I brought all, all that to bear. I was invited in to the Pilot Mountain Baptist Association to help actually revitalize the association. So we've been fairly successful in doing that last six and a half years. Awesome. Jimbo, tell us about yourself, how you got involved in the whole revitalization thing. Yeah, I grew up in South Mississippi, just 90 miles northeast of New Orleans, Louisiana, in a city called Hattiesburg, Mississippi, and became a believer in college after being a nominal Christian growing up, going to church some, but not super often. And all my experience was in dying churches full of old people. And even the church that I went to when I got saved as a college student was that. And I was planning to be a chef, was working in the restaurant industry. And uh, as I finished college, ended up surrendering to ministry and have been serving the local church ever since and moved from Hattiesburg down to New Orleans to do seminary, worked at a great church there, and then felt like God was calling me specifically to replant a dying church in a demographically changing community. Didn't know the term replanting, but knew what God was calling us to do. And so we ended up in Jacksonville, Florida, and replanted a church here in Jacksonville. Last couple years uh, in replanting, I I'm an avid, curious researcher, and so I just started trying to find as much help as I could. And I, I'm pretty sure I just asked my associational leader enough questions that he hired me as a contractor and uh, contracted me to help us think through revitalization and replanting strategy as an association. And then the North American Mission Board asked me to come on with them. And so I've been full-time with the North American Mission Board since 2021 as a replant specialist focused on replanter development, meaning that I work with denominational entities such as associations, state conventions, and seminaries to identify, assess, and develop replanters through residencies and assessments and trainings. And I get to learn from guys like Walker and yourself. And a few years ago, uh, Bob Bickford and I started a podcast that's much less complicated process than than what you get. I mean, you guys have got the serious setup here, replant boot camp, uh, where we just have a lot of fun talking about replanting and revitalizing dying churches. 
That's awesome, man. So just jumping in, and I'm sure at NAM um, and on the association level, Walker, with, with your specific association of churches, we're saying in our state upwards of nine out of ten churches are in need of some type of revitalization. At the same time, we always like to share the quote, prognosis without diagnosis is malpractice, right? Um, I often think that uh, sometimes if doctors did what we do sometimes in the revitalization field, we might they might get sued for it. We just get away for it with it and write a book, right? And so um, <laughs> it's not a one-size-fits-all process. Jimbo, starting on that a little bit, why the assessment is so important for really how you engage a church specifically, where they're at in the life cycle, and what process may be helpful for them. Yeah, so one of the things that we have to understand is that church revitalization is just as contextual as discipleship is, right? There's not a, there is good frameworks for discipleship, but if I disciple you exactly the same way I disciple someone recovering from alcoholism, uh, one of you is not going to get a very good experience. And with churches, we have to identify what's going on because we're no longer in a moment where we culturally have a wind in our sails, where you can just put up a building, have good programs, and enough people will show up. That moment is gone. And what's happened in that that's good is it's forced us to start to identify the difference between the health of our organization and the health of our body spiritually. And so as we get towards the end of the life cycle, there's something unique that happens in any organization that kind of gets stuck for too long. Any personality profile you use, one of the delineations is going to be people between people who are proactive and people who are reactive. And most research has shown that at the end of the life cycle of an organization, all your proactive people leave. And so you're left actually with a group of people who are very comfortable with the status quo. And this is why we have to identify if that's what's going on. And at that point, you need outside help. So not only have we lost the cultural wins that we used to have 50, 60 years ago, but our contexts have changed. Chances are the neighborhood your church is in does not look the same as it did when it was planted. And if you haven't had a missionary mindset to learn the culture of your community and engage it in a missional way, putting the mission over your own personal preferences, then your church is probably dying in the midst of that. And so there's some there's some hard decisions that have to be made. And so we have to have a good, honest conversation about where we're at and how we got there and what God may have for us to do moving forward. Great. Walker, jump in on that. So you're you're on the front end with an association with your churches. You're trying to help them um, just really um, engage in some type of revitalization process. Um, what does that engagement look like? How do you start on the front end? Um, how does that work for the association level? Um, well, I think the various points of contact and, and entree, I think one that obviously comes to mind within the replant realm is that you have a dying congregation. They're down to a handful of people. They're rapidly aging. And so they're trying to figure out, do they donate the property to an association or state convention, uh, or do they really kind of uh, double down on their energy and try to give it one more college try. So, you know, when you're invited in as an AMS, uh, you want to come in with kindness and gentleness and, and forethought about what is it like for them emotionally. But in the end, you've got to bring them to at least an axis point of reality. 
where they go, this is where, the, where we really are uh, in our journey, and uh, we need some level um, of urgency. If you're a plateau church, it's more like how do you get missionally reengaged? And there are variations. Jimbo can talk about that from a leadership standpoint and others. But, you know, oftentimes when I'm called in, the church is somewhere, if you use the, the analogy between retirement and death in a life cycle, they're kind of stuck in that scenario. And you've got to help them navigate to where they own it and they want to do something about it. Yeah, that's great, Walker. I want you to dive in just a, a few more minutes on that because, you know, going back to the analogy of being in the emergency room, you're going through triage, which is a lot of these situations with churches, why revitalization is not always the answer. You know, if you have someone come in and they're, um, you know, they got an arm hanging off, you know, versus a headache, and you still die, you still, you know, say take two Advil and go home, you know, that could be a real problem. How have you seen that with churches? I mean, are they are they understanding the severity of where they're at? How do you get them to that point to see the difference? Because we really don't want churches to do something like a revitalization or a plateaued process where you have outside coaching and help helping them guide back to being missionally healthy. If they don't have the horses in the stalls or they don't have um, they don't have the resources, we don't want just to take them through some paperwork that's going to sit on the shelf for mm-hmm. for a couple years or and, and disengage in the process. So, how are you seeing that play out in a, in a real life example? Well, you know, I, I think that it it still amazes me um, the level of denial that a, a particular dying church can be in about the, the, their desperate state. Um, and I think there are three strongholds that you run into with, with these churches, uh, fear, pride, or shame, that's keeping them from really getting a, a clear and precise picture of where they are. Um, and I think that you've got to be willing to walk with them. Uh, you know, my mind harkens back to Acts 20, where Paul is warning the Ephesian elders to, to take care of the flock because he predicts, it's really interesting to me, that wolves will come in. Hmm. And what I've experienced with replants and revitalizations, particularly replants, is that, you know, there's a shyster on every corner who's got an idea about how to put the church back together. And again, you're invited in as an AMS, and so you're trying to walk them through a prayerful process where they hear from God and they, you know, they make courageous steps. And you've got to warn them that people come in with a quick fix, you know, and a a savior. Uh, perspective and a, and a savior persona. And so for us, you know, in our role, and I'd love to hear Jimbo chime in on this, but for us as AMS is, it's really along the lines of how do you balance gentleness mm-hmm. uh, with directness? Yeah, yeah. Jimbo, jump in on that. I mean, in your experience just being a practitioner in the field for, for many years, how have you been able to balance just the engagement on the front end of the reality of where a church is and then giving them really, you know, hey, there's a picture of what process would be best with you? How do, how do you engage in the room on that? So the passage I've utilized the most in that conversation is in the fifth chapter of Joshua. Joshua has led the Israelites to cross the River Jordan, and they find themselves now in the promised land. But there's a lot of battles ahead of them. And so Joshua, as a good leader, is surveying the situation before him, trying to figure out what the plan is. And so he kind of heads early in the morning before everybody else to Jericho. He's walking around and he's he's trying to figure out what to do like any good leader would. But he encounters this man, this soldier with a sword drawn, 
which I, we all, I think, believe that's a Christophany. That's Jesus himself, the, the commander of the Lord's army. But, but Joshua doesn't know that, right? And so he just sees a guy with a sword drawn. And so he says, um, are you for us or are you against us? Or depending on the translation, right? Are you for us? Are you for our adversaries? And I'll, I'll kind of go through that passage with the church and I'll say, I recognize that me walking in as an outsider right now, you probably feel like my sword is drawn. And you're probably asking, am I for you or am I against you? And I want you to know that my opinion actually doesn't even matter in this conversation. Uh, I, I'm not here to tell you the brilliant answer that Jimbo has. I, I just want to facilitate. And ultimately, we want to look at like in the seven letters of the churches in Revelation, and we want to ask Jesus to consult. And we want to ask, see, Joshua asked the wrong question first. And so he he brought what he thought was his plan and his army, and he said to the, what he didn't know was the commander of the Lord's army, are you for us or against us? And here's what I love is it wasn't a yes or no question, but what does the commander of the Lord's army say? No. It wasn't a yes or no question, but he says no. In other words, you asked the wrong question. Then he tells him who he is. He says, but I am the commander of the Lord's army. And I always tell churches, when I go to that passage, I'll say, what we have to understand in this conversation is we're not asking, what's the cool program we need to do? What's the fix-it mission opportunity that we need to do? Do we have to get haze and lights and a cool pulpit and wear skinny jeans? Do we have to, like, that, those? that's not the questions we're here to ask. And the shyster on the corner that Walker's telling you about is trying to sell them something that really is just a Band-Aid fix for the organizational health, but it doesn't address the body health. And so I tell them what we've got to ask is the right questions. And the next question, so once Joshua understood where he was and who he was talking to, he said, what would you have me do, Lord? I said, now, I'm not coming with a sword drawn. And Jesus really, maybe his sword is drawn, but it isn't to attack you. It's, it's the word to cut us and help us. And this is a discipleship process. And so our question isn't, what's the coolest way? What's the most strategic way? Our question is, Lord, what would you have us do? And we have to understand that we can't bring before him our favorite programs, our favorite way of doing things, and hold those tightly and go, Jesus, are you for these or are you against these? It's the wrong question. We have to open our hands. We have to loosen our grips. And, and what we've got to understand is many churches die, but if they'll choose to die to self first, then they don't have to. If they will lay it down at the feet of Jesus and say, what would you have me do, Lord? And take an honest look. A Romans 12 would call it a sober assessment, right? And let's let's get honest about what's actually happening, what, what's really going. And this means it's going to be some hard and uncomfortable questions. And what I found is I'll usually begin the conversation that way because what I don't want to do is come in and they think that I'm bringing a quick fix and then I sneak like left hook them with some with some stuff from the Bible and I, I just want to I want to I want to up front be like we're having some hard conversations here and some of these things you're going to feel like I'm trying to draw a sword on you but I'm not I'm just asking questions and in these questions we have to be honest and we have to go through a process that reveals truth to us and we have to ask Jesus, what is the next thing you would have us do in obedience? All I heard out of all that was don't swift left hook them when you're in the assessment process. 
that that doesn't go look well. it won't work well for you okay <laughs> well i mean it's possible you know there's different there's different avenues out there there's a lot of different people doing revitalization these days so <laughs> yeah. you know sometimes i think man someone's got to be doing something we're not doing so maybe giving them a left hook might be the way to to get it across i don't know probably not probably not just <laughs> duck make sure you just duck, duck. Yeah. yeah i think they would quickly know whether you're for them or against them if you try to punch them yeah so yeah so we're in the assessment process with the church and it's so important because again you don't want to give them something that is not going to not going to truly help them. Mm-hmm. You know, you you, you really, we're, you know, most guys I know that are doing this from NAM, the association guys, ourselves, you're really in this to see the glory of God, you know, and just see revival in that church and, you know, see um, just see many, many people one to Christ and, and see just the glory of the Lord in that church, which is why we do it. But you've got to assess to know where the starting point is. We use the analogy a lot, and I always use sports analogies and they're lost on a lot of people so they may be lost on our audience today but you know you have three seconds left on the clock it's a football game by the way walker not not american football not 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 football so you got three seconds left we're down by three points and the difference if you're the coach of the play you send in if you're on the the three yard line the 10 yard line or the 50 yard line those are very different plays right we're not here to shame your church, but we need to know what yard line you're at so we know the right play to call because one play will, might be revitalization, one play might be replanting, one play might be fostering, but it really helps us in that process. Going off of that ideal, and once you get that assessment on where they're at, what yard line they're on, so you get an idea of what play to call, what have you guys seen? I'll start with you, Walker. In your association, where are the majority, what yard line are the majority of your churches on? Where are they falling kind of on the church life cycle? Uh, the 21 yard line. Okay. You're going to have to define that for me because that can mean something different to everybody, right? I mean, no, I mean uh, in all seriousness, um, um, I, I think a lot of churches are plateaued to declining, and there are various sizes. Uh, it's just not one size fits all. And so, in that place, you know, you, you've got to got to help them see how do we reacclimate ourselves to the mission of God, and in a way that fits our context, like Jimbo was saying earlier. Um, so that conversation is actually, in my experience, a little bit easier to have because there's still something on the table. There's still some capacity left in the church. To reengage, your biggest challenge at that point is with the pastor. Is the pastor going to own that the church really needs to revitalize? Um, a lot of times, as I mentioned earlier, like shame is getting in the way because they think, "Hey, man, under under my leadership, we've declined," and so you know, it's not about getting them or shaming them. It's just about saying, "Look, there's a path forward." But, you know, a lot of our churches, you know, sometimes are in that place where they need to revitalize, but the pastor is really worried about what will this look like uh, in regards to my leadership, um, where have I dropped the ball. To me, my favorite analogy, using what you said earlier, is kind of a Pete Carroll thing where you're on the two-yard line and you have the most punishing runner in the NFL and you call pass play. Mm. So a lot of pastors, to extend that analogy, they, they've been calling the wrong plays, um, and so they're wondering if they're going to be able to stay in the game uh, much longer. So I really love the idea of saying, look, you're stepping back into the story of God, 
and your story is contained in his story. And so that's very redemptive. That's very healing. That's very forgiving. And it's very enabling and empowering. But the challenge for me as an AMS, as a coach or consultant or catalyst, is to say, look, you got to own it, and, and we've got to go through a process together, but it's worth it. Um, oftentimes, pastors will bag out somewhere in the process uh, of revitalization because it's too grueling or it's too challenging. And I think one of you mentioned earlier that the idea of putting a, a process on the shelf, I, unfortunately, I see that happen too often um, because the, the pastor's in a self-protective mode. Yeah. Jimbo, what are you seeing nationally with at NAM? What are you guys seeing as far as where's the majority of the churches falling on the life cycle? What are some some characteristics of that? Yeah, because of that cultural wind issue that I mentioned earlier, I think we're at a moment in history where uh, churches that were planted by the builder generation uh, the is they're coming to an end and a lot of these churches are towards the end of the life cycle, and they've got a pastor there that the entrepreneurial approach, the bootstrap mentality of we can do this on our own has led them to isolate themselves from outside help of any kind because of the shame that comes with that, or the pastor is not planned well for his retirement, and so he's holding the church hostage while he's just leading them through hospice care and because he's trying to figure out how he can financially survive. And so part of this is we have to recognize there's a big difference between fighting to keep the organization alive and to keep the body on mission the way that it's supposed to be. And keeping the body on mission, here's what I'd tell you. Here's what I've encountered in every single church I've been to is every single church has to continually figure out what it means to die to self. Yeah. And, and, And part of that, I think we're in a moment in history where we're going to have to fully embrace cooperative partnerships with other churches. We're going to have to move beyond a the shame of we can't do this on our own, and we have to recognize none of us can do this on our own, nor were we ever really intended to. We had a moment in American history where the wind was in our sails and there was a cultural uh, benefit to being a Christian and being a member of a church and going to church. And so it was just a lot easier to keep the organization healthy. And as that moment has gone, we finally now have to realize in American history, man, we can't do this on our own. We we got to figure out how to link arms together and practice what we preach when we say we're all on the same team. And man, I would say more churches need to figure out how to receive or give partnership than ever which is just seems like an obviously biblical idea. As you look at the letters written to churches, we know like the letter to the church of Ephesus, Ephesians, was not really just for Ephesus. It was a it was a letter that was traveling and it was going through other cities and and it was part of the way of these guys learning together and being together. And so you see it so often where this body of believers would send help to this body of believers in the New Testament in the book of Acts and Paul, after planting churches, would go back and strengthen the disciples and work with those churches and groups. And we have to figure out what it truly means to really link arms together. No, that's great. So let's just jump into that. I think, so we we have this, and, and Jimbo, you and I have had this conversation before, and we say at the state convention, the big entity that is NAM or that's the state convention, um, we don't do the best revitalization contextually we can give some some we can get some 
uh, assessments. We can give we can give some books. We can give some different things, and we should do all those things, right? We should provide those resources. But revitalization happens best, especially contextually, on the association or church to church level, the local church Absolutely. context. And so, what what if you're a struggling church or if you're a healthy church that's listening right now, Jimbo? How how do you how do you reach out to the other church? How do you get involved if you're a struggling healthy church to reach out to your association or to your to another church to really um, see revitalization happen? I would say one: don't wait until you're in a point of crisis, if at all possible. If you're at a point of crisis, go ahead and call your state your state convention or your local association and and ask them to help you out. But I think we have to start the idea of partnership long before we think we need it. Uh, and we should just go ahead and link arms. Like if, if there's another church in your community and you're trying to reach the same people, I can just about guarantee you there are enough lost people for the both of you. And so let's just go ahead and do some mission together. Let's pray for each other. Let's worship together periodically. Man, when I, I believed this so much when I was pastoring a replant, we did this all the time. We There were three or four churches in our community of different ethnicities, and man, we would just... And even some of the same ethnicity, so their competition. And man, we would just get together, we'd worship together, we'd pray together, we'd do mission together. You have to begin, if if you'll begin that posture of partnership before you need it, then when you're in need, it's so much more natural and, and healthy and comfortable. But if you're at that point of crisis, that's what your association, now your association's there for, for you before you're in crisis as well, but they can help broker a relationship of some kind to foster you or replant you or some sort of partnership there. If you're a healthy church, begin partnership before you think you need it. And, and not because you want to absorb properties, but because you want to see kingdom wins, because you want to see that church reach people for Jesus. And when they win, you win. And so go ahead. And if you've got things, resources, knowledge, whatever, that could be helpful for the churches in your community, man, be open-handed with that stuff. Let's always err on the side of partnership and generosity and being open-handed. And it's it, to me, it's, it's, it's Galatians chapter 6, where when one, when one has a burden too heavy to carry and someone else helps carry that burden, then the Bible tells us we're fulfilling the law of Christ. Man, don't we want to fulfill the law of Christ? Like, that just sounds so good to me. Like, hey, let's fulfill the law of Christ. Well, what does that look like? It looks like partnership. It looks like carrying burdens. And so if you have the ability to carry a burden, then you better be carrying some burdens for somebody. If you've got burdens, there should be people in your community that can help. That we, I mean, it's it's so overused, but man, we really are better together. And so I would say it's a rare exception that you don't legitimately need partnership to make you better. I think we all have to start there. Amen. Well, guys, it's been so great having you today. I do want to to ask one more question. Um, anything that you felt like needs to be hit on that we haven't hit on, or specifically for a pastor or a leader that's listening today, you know, what's your advice to them? Jimbo, I'll start with you. We'll let, we'll let Walker tie the bow. My advice would be there are no shortcuts. Um Anything that tries to sell you a quick fix is is not is not going to work because and you just nailed it on the head so well, Terry. This is a discipleship issue. This is not 
primarily a systems and structure and strategy issue. I think systems and structures and strategy do have to be shepherded and they have to be evaluated and we have to make sure that they are playing their proper role, which is to support the mission that God has given us. But and, and most likely, those things need to be addressed. Your systems, your strategies, your structures, all of those things probably do need to be addressed. But even if you get all of those in, in the right place, that's still not going to revitalize the church. It, it's going to set you up to be able to revitalize the church. But revitalization is about discipleship. It, church decline is about a lack of discipleship. This, this is all about our willingness to die to self put the interest of others above ourselves, Philippians 2 mindset, and how do we live in such a way that we're not consumers, but that we are cooperative members of a body. We are co-laborers with Jesus. That has to be the approach and the posture. Any church revitalization approach that doesn't take you to discipleship is missing the mark. Amen. Amen. Walker, you get the last word, man. That's pretty powerful, Jimbo. I don't know what I can say other than that. Um, I, I would say uh, the only thing I could add is you're not alone. Um, mm. And that um, you have brothers and sisters th- that want to walk with you through this, including you know other congregations uh, that you don't need to mistrust, uh, that want to be in the journey with you. And, and I think that you know in our ecclesiology as Baptists, you know, what happens is it's easy for guys to get in rabbit holes and then mm. think that they're the only one struggling with this and it's just a church of their size or their lack of capacities or resources and the reality is because it's a discipleship issue we all deal with this i've got very large churches in my association that are rebooting um you know after COVID. Um, and so it, it would surprise normative churches about that reality, uh, but it's true. And so, but if you're in community together as churches linked in mission, then you get to hear these stories. If you're not, then you're just sequestered and almost condemned to this isolated way of approaching ministry. And it's just not the way God intended. Um, you know, I, th- I think if we link arms together, we see you know, greater things happen. I think great revivals, you know, are not just about individuals rediscovering God through prayer uh, and other aspects and reorientation of the word and mission. It's when believers of other churches link together that you have spiritual awakening. So, um, and I would say to, to AMSs, to people at NAM, to people at State Convention, hey, you know, it's, it's hard work. It is hard work doing this. It's grueling. It's a glorious grind, but it's still grueling. But we're not alone. You know, you know I've got friends like you and Jimbo and Bob Bickford and Mark Clifton and others uh, that are pulling the same direction, and that's a big comfort. Amen. Well, guys, thank you all so much, Jimbo Walker, for being a part of our NC Baptist podcast today. I really believe, you know, what we're doing, how we're all working together on this is making a difference. Uh, our, our listeners today should real recognize that our associations, our state convention, NAM, we're all working together on this. Jimbo, tell us if, if someone listening today wants to learn more or get some more resources from NAM, where do they go? How do they get connected to the website? 
churchreplanters.com will take you to our part of the website at NAM. Uh, there is uh, a lot of resources there for you. We've got a lot of events that are for you. We've got surveys that you can take, books that we recommend, podcasts we recommend, blogs, a lot of other things. So churchreplanters.com would be where I would point everybody. Walker Association, they're, they're around the, the Winston-Salem area. How do they get connected with you guys? Uh, we're at PMBA, Pilot Mountain Baptist Association.org. And you can reach us there, and um, we will link you back to NAM. <laughs> Amen. Well, you can visit the ncbaptist.org backslash revitalization webpage. We'd love to get you connected here with the NC Baptist Revitalization, Revitalize NC. Our resources, all that we can offer you, especially our revitalization assessment to kind of get you started on this, figure out where you're on the life cycle. Just wanted to thank everyone for joining today. Thank you for listening. Because of your generosity, and the generosity of all the NC Baptist revitalization resources are available to NC Baptist churches. Our team would like to help you assess, evaluate, and modify areas of need in your church where revitalization is necessary. Let us be on mission together. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for joining us today. Because of your generosity to NC Baptist, this podcast, along with other helpful resources, are made available for you. Learn more by visiting ncbaptist.org give.